it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 444 for June 24th, 2016. I'm your host, Allison Sheridan, and I'm joined yet again by Bart Bouchatz. And we're going to go through some more programming by stealth. We are having so much fun in JavaScript, huh, Bart? Yay! Indeed we are. <laughs> Actually, this is kind of a landmark one. So uh, today we're going to learn the last little hanging piece of the JavaScript language, the actual core language. And that gets us ready to do what we really want to do, which is take our knowledge into the browser and start actually doing webby cool stuff. Ooh, we're getting out of the playground next next time? Next time. So this is the last, we're just laying the last little foundation blocks here so that we understand JavaScript, the language. And then we can apply that in a particular context. But also, of course, there's nothing to stop you learning other contexts. You can use JavaScript to script OS X. You can use JavaScript inside snippets in Text Expander. You can use JavaScript inside Hazel, I believe. Hazel? Yeah, yeah. It's all over the place. So after today, we will have covered pretty much the whole language. We won't have covered a few advanced techniques. And there's one notable language feature I have intentionally left for later but you will have a 90% knowledge of JavaScript. Cool. Now, whether I can execute it on my own, that's a whole nother, a whole nother Oprah, as they say. <laughs> yeah, well, the only solution for that, I'm afraid, is practice. Right, so I need lots of practice. Yes, well, there's a nice, actually, there's a particular, I, I particularly like the challenge at the end of this one. Oh, good, good. We're starting to get into more, less childish, I guess, less contrived ah. examples. Okay. Um, it's very hard to make examples when you're like, okay, no, I can't ask you to do this because then you have to use this thing I haven't told you about. I can't, you know, until you have the whole language, every, you're always sidestepping little landmines. It's like, oh, this would be a cool. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm amazed at the instructions you put together and the, and, uh, the challenges are fun, even though I, of course, again, procrastinated till almost the last minute of my homework. <laughs> you remind me so much of me. <laughs> Well, this time I started it two days early, but I failed for a whole day, so. Well, the failing is probably more important than anything else, actually, because that's, the, 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 once you figure out what the problem is, then you know what, what to get help with. And once you then get the help, it should stay sunk in an awful lot better than if you didn't fail first. Well, yeah. I, I, and no. <laughs> yeah, this particular fail was, I have no idea what he's asking me to do. So that one, this was, this one was really, really hard for me. I'd like, I was going to play a joke here and, and pretend that I did it all by myself, but I actually pulled in a tutor. I had uh, Alistair help me yesterday. Well, thank you, Alistair. Uh, well, this, this challenge was particularly abstract. Um, and like I said last week, this concept of functions as arguments to functions is considered a very advanced technique in every language except for JavaScript. And in JavaScript, it's just the done thing. But it's a level of abstraction that a lot of people are not comfortable with for quite some time because functions that then take functions as arguments to functions, it all, and not to mention the word function comes in 20 kabillion times because (laughs) you have functions with functions with functions. And there's no way to rewrite it because they are functions that take functions as arguments. Yeah. So for the audience, I had asked Bart for some help and I told him, you know, completely lost here, mostly lost in this part, a whole lot of lost in this part over here. And Bart wrote me an email where he explained this and he used the word function five times in one sentence. And the sentence couldn't have had more than 15 or 20 words in it. And what actually pushed me over the edge of uh, being able to start understanding was when Alistair suggested that I not name 
the function inside the function function. <laughs> so well, we, FN. FN, but, but the only way you can say that in your head is function, right? So it was function inside a function. So uh, we, I renamed my, my internal function goop. And ah. that made me a lot happier. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I like to call them FN because that way they look like functions. Sure. You go ahead there, Bart. I'm going to yeah, call look, it Whatever goop. works, right? And this is where you come back to the whole, there is an infinity of possible correct answers. Therefore, you know, just because I call it function or FN, that doesn't mean that's right. That's just my way of doing it. Yeah. So I guess we should describe what the assignment was before we look at solutions. So what I had asked uh, you and everyone else who's playing along to do is to write a function called input transformer. And that function's job in life would be to do something to all of the inputs in the playground. And that something would be passed in as an argument. So that something would be a function as an argument to a function. So (laughs) you could use input transformer to double everything. Or you could use input transformer to multiply everything by a thousand. Or you could use input transformer to square everything. Or you could use input transformer to cube everything. Or you could use input transformer to get the square root of everything. Basically, what to do to the how to transform was accepted as an argument, and that argument was another function. Right. So, can I so, tell you how, how? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say so to prove that it worked, I asked you so create the function called function transformer and then use it to square and cube the inputs. So, that right. was the full assignment. So, when after uh, Alistair and I went through it a bunch of times, and once I had a working one uh, version, Mm-hmm. He said something that really resonated to me. He said that the uh, there's there's a term called a mainline, and he referred to the last the very last steps of this script are the actual uh, the actual function doing something. So at the very yes. bottom, we've got uh, int- input transformer is going to tell uh, a function to return n times n in my case. So that was this the square of it. So mm. by by starting there, that's where we've got the anonymous function. So it just says yes. there is a function. I'm not going to tell you what it's called. But now mm-hmm. at the beginning of the script, that's where we tell the function input transformer, you know what? You're going to need to call it something. You can't just not call it anything. It can't be called nothing. So we're going to call it goop. And then once I just the word goop really helped me because <laughs> inside the uh the function input transformer i could say mm-hmm. we're we're going to have a, a function called goop and now we got to ch- first we got to check and see if goop is a function so yep. i said if type of goop is uh wait is not equal to function oh yeah then right why? if yeah. if type of goop is is yeah check what you want and if it's not true why? right if type of goop is not a function say that ain't no function by the way you can't use the apostrophe in eight or it really wrecks the equa- the whole thing because it messes up the quotes yeah i bet you can put it in double quotes or something but there you uh, go. That's uh, exactly what you would do i got tired and i just got rid of the apostrophe so i say if type of goop is not a function pbs.say that ain't no function return so i want it to jump out mm-hmm. if it's not a function right. but then uh, we, we said, okay, we got to have an array of, uh, made up of the inputs in, uh, in PBS, in the PBS, I'll get it yet, the PBS yeah, playground. playground, JavaScript playground. So I said var a equals PBS dot inputs to, mm-hmm. uh, two parentheses or what you call brackets that drives me nuts because yeah, brackets are square. Things, right? Yeah. Roundy things. 
So then we're going to iterate through the inputs. And I just stole the code you'd given us before for variable i equals zero until i is, uh, as long as i doesn't equal the length of the array, then keep adding and incrementing that array. But yeah. right in the middle there is where Alistair suggested would be a good place to do the check to make sure that what I got was a number. And by putting it inside that for loop, I was able to have the uh, the the script continue even if uh, one of the entries was not a number. Right, so you could say, I'm sorry, but this is garbage. Okay, but the two was fine, so I'll, I'll, I'll manipulate that for you. Right, right. So we had an if is nan, then, uh, and, and this is a, another piece that kind of confused me, That but once you reiterated what it meant, it really works for me as a square brackets i. So I've got an array, and I know that the elements of the array are always inside those square brackets with commas. Well, it just says i. It's like, oh, okay, that's the incremented value inside those. But we're uh-huh. choosing to use i. All right. And then uh, the end of it is to print out the results. So it just says pbs.say, the input is a bracket i, and then run goop. And this is where I just felt really good. It's like, okay, ai is going to become, which is mm-hmm. it has the equal sign, goop ai. So that uh, so now I've got the, I've changed it. And then I can pbs.say, the output is ai. And what Alistair said here really helped me too, is he said, you have to say it, in order to get the um, to know what the input is, you have to say what the input is before you run goop. Because right. if you say it after you, it, it, the uh, the first time you say it is the only time you know what the input is, and the second time you say it, if you say it after you run goop, that's the only time you know the output. But now you no longer know the input because you just wrote over it, basically. Yeah. So that's what I understand in in what we did. And and once right. we walked, we, we created it, then we walked through it and he explained it. And then I closed it and I did it again on my own. So I felt, felt a little better about that. Made a whole bunch of typos. Like it turns out if you spell Nan with a lowercase second N, it doesn't work at all. Yes. And in the UK, that's a short abbreviation for grandmother, Nana. Yeah, there you she go. She Nan. Oh yeah, my Nan was doing something. So <laughs> Nan is, 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 she can program, but she isn't today. And she, well, she is not a number, I guess. <laughs> Right, right. So I was kind of pleased with that. Felt, felt strong. Well, your solution is very, 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 very similar to the the one I have as the sample in the show notes. Very, very similar. Um, the the biggest difference, I guess, is that rather than using a for loop, I fell back to my favorite habit of using a for each loop, which I have been fighting against myself all the way through this series until I finally taught you about for each last week um, to keep using those bloody for loops that I hate. Uh, um, so, so I, I would did like with a for to, each. I would like to use a for each, and I, and I when I was in utter and total confusion, um, that's what I tried to use. But I, I, you should have seen me. I was just throwing glop in and push and run just to see if anything would do anything. I finally did successfully get PBS to say, "What the heck are you even talking about, Bart?" <laughs> that's all I could get it to do. That's when I went to bed. Yeah. So the for each is actually very very similar to input transformer for each belongs to array so in your case you called your array a so you would say a dot for each and then you would pass it in an anonymous function to actually do what you want to do each time and every time the anonymous so for each would run the anonymous function once against everything in the array hence it's called for each i'm not seeing the for each in your line 22 i called my what you called a i called the inputs okay Okay, so so walk through how that that structure works for me again. 
Okay, so the inputs dot for each says I want to apply the function for each to those inputs. That notation will make much more sense to you at the end of today, actually, because the inputs is an object. Like I keep saying, everything's an object. And we haven't told you much about objects yet, but that's where we're going today. Uh, so the for each function expects to be handed a callback. It expects to be given as an argument a function. Okay. And so instead of naming one, I decided to use an anonymous function because that's just easier. Mm-hmm. And the way for each works is that it promises to you, the programmer, that whatever anonymous function you put in, it will run that function once with once for everything in the array, and it will do so passing whatever the thing is in the array at that point as the first argument. So function IPT basically means function whatever the hell. I'm calling that the, the thing in the array at the moment. Wait, what is where did IPT come from? I'm defining it at that moment in time. Oh, I'm yeah. creating a oh. function and I am saying, I shall call whatever you give me as the first input, IPT. By the way, my I, I came up with a phrase for what that is. Uh, do you remember the, the baseball movie with, uh, oh, God, one of my favorite actors, but where they said, if you build it, they will come. So Isn't until. A Barnum quote? Oh, it might be. It might be. But so this is where, because you said IPT is what you're going to call, it's going mm-hmm. to exist because you said you're going to call it. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you say the word function and then open a parens and then you start naming things, you are bringing those into existence and they will last only until the end of the function. So that IPT exists from the opening curly brace on line 22 as far as the closing curly brace on line 24. Okay. Okay. So for each will call my anonymous function once for every time for every element in the array. Okay. And the first time it calls it, IPT will be the first element in the array. And the second time it calls it, it will be the second element in the array. And the third time it calls it, it will be the third element in the array. So you can see why it's called for each. Okay. Do this anonymous function, and the input to the function will be whatever the element is in the array, and it'll happen for the first element, the second element, the third element, the fourth element, the fifth element. It will basically loop through the array for you without you having to write a for loop. I just realized a pretty fundamental difference between our two approaches is I did all mm-hmm. the pbs.say stuff outside of the input transformer. You did it inside, which makes that piece of it a little more portable. Well, yeah, I, yeah normally I would say to you, don't do the pbs.say's inside. But in this case, input transformer only makes sense on our playground. So I was like, yeah, I'll do the saying. Right oh, there. so I shouldn't learn from what you just, <laughs> just did. Well, no, it depends, right? It, it's If you're writing a function that is going to be used in lots of different places, then you'd make it as generic as possible. But if your function is designed to interact with something that belongs to one exact web page, well, then why make it generic? It makes no sense. Like, Input Transformer couldn't work outside of the playground because its job is to manipulate the playground. Okay, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So when we were talking about writing a function to do... Uh, not Fibonacci, the other one that everyone... uh, Factorials. Factorial. When we were writing a function to do factorial, factorial makes sense in every context. So by keeping the PBSs out of that factorial function, that factorial function became usable in text expander and in Hazel and in anything else you want. Okay. But this was never going to be portable because the concept of transforming the inputs in the playground only makes sense in the playground. Okay. All right. So I'm I'm not any wrong... No, absolutely. Like I say, there is no... Literally, the only thing I would quibble about with your solution was that you didn't indent the function. <laughs> that was it. That, that was my total criticism, which is... And that's only nothing. the last time I say it, right? I, well, no, when you're defining the function, you basically, when you open a curly brace tab in, that's just, that's just that. But the wait, most where didn't I... Uh, well, well, when it arrived to me as a text file, 
What line? Uh, hang on, let me get it's your email back. 28 lines long. So are you talking about at the very end where I'm saying input transformer function n? No, I'm talking when you define, create the function. Uh, okay, so here we go. Well, you don't. Listen. Yes, I do. You don't. Line six is tabbed in from line five. Okay, hang on. Nobody else is looking at line numbers maybe, but uh, so. My line oh, six. that's where my you mean. Five. Okay, so my, my if statement in there. Your if is tabbed in perfectly, but. No, it isn't. Basically, from lines 5 to 25, we are defining input transformer, and so everything is tabbed in so that it's very clear that the curly brace in line 25 matches the word, the function definition in line 5. Just like the closing brace in line 10 matches the if statement in line 7. Okay, I thought you meant that at the very end, when I call input transformer, I should have tabbed in. No, 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 no. Okay. I do. So it's just to make it clear what belongs to the, what's part of input transformer and what isn't. Right, 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 right. In reality, you're going to be writing five, six, seven. You're going to have lots of functions on the one page. And so if you don't tab them in, it's very hard to see where the next one begins. And you're going to be scrolling through it, scratching your head, going, oh, no, sorry, I'm actually, yeah, it just gets messy. So the general rule of thumb is if you start a curly brace tab in. Yeah, I do that in the other functions, but not that are inside of there, but not not in there. Okay. All right, that, say, okay, that I do book. remember. I thought you were saying, that, again, that when I called it, I'm going, I do not remember you telling me that when I called functions, I had to, but okay. So from now on, you're going to find, I'll remember what I thought you said that you didn't say. Uh-oh. I'll keep doing that. You'll be going, why are you still doing that? <laughs> That'll look quite weird. Yep. Yeah, no, that ah, is well, easier to read. Okay, good. Oh, um, one but, more thing in that. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you watch Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley, uh, no. The TV show, oh, you need to. It's hilarious. But uh, in it, they had this big thing about tabs versus spaces. Where, I'm where a the, spacey person. The, the main character uh, is really, really anal about, no, it's tabs, not spaces. And he meets this perfect woman. She's just like, she makes more money than she <laughs> he is. She works for Facebook. She's gorgeous. She's funny. She loves everything he loves, but she uses spaces. And he can't stay with her because of it. <laughs> And that's what you call OCD. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a tab person. I'm not a fan of spaces. I'm not going to lie. Tabs are eight whole characters. It's like I don't want my stuff going halfway. Are they to eight char- No, I just did a tab and it moved it two in in Adam. That Adam will okay. Well, then Adam has a setting in the bottom right. But if you take that into text edit, it will suddenly be eight spaces over. But unless if- ah, unless Adam does what a lot of text editors do these days, and automatically when you hit the tab key, it actually puts in spaces. It might. It does have a convert uh, a convert thing. You can change white space, convert tabs to spaces, or convert spaces to tabs. Yeah, spaces are nice, and basically the width of a tab key is an adjustable thing, whereas the width of a space is a space. But how many so, spaces do you put in? Well, I go with two. Uh, this girl was putting in like eight each time. <laughs> well, eight was traditional, right? Traditionally, it oh, was one it? tab or eight spaces, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm glad well, we covered I went this to four for a while, and then I was like, oh, I can still see the difference, and this isn't scrolling as much. And then I went to two. It's like, oh, look, I can still see the difference, and it's not scrolling forever. So <laughs> I, I settled on two. Well, Adam, you can use a tab if you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. It's, it, yeah, as long as it's tab, as long as it's indented in, and you can clearly see where stuff begins and ends, your particular style, I don't care. Okay, it's just as long as it's clear, as long as it's obvious what's going on, it it works. All right. Um, one other very, very subtle difference between our two solutions is that I never actually bothered saving the results. So I just say PBS, let's say IPT becomes FN IPT, or in your case, Goop IPT. So I just say it, I never save it. Whereas you, on one line, save it. and then So you say 
edit say, whereas I just say it and just apply the function but never save the answer. Where did, where did I save it? Uh, don't you at one point say a square brackets i equals, equals so becomes I. yeah yeah so that's that's a save right if it becomes happening whereas i never oh. becomes but that's because you completely because so, you used a yeah. for oh i could have done the same in a for loop i could have hmm. said uh, a open brackets i plus then actually type the english word becomes plus goop a i oh okay okay but again, it's completely irrelevant because that array is created within the function. So that array vanishes the moment the function ends. So y- your actual code has no different effect in reality. Okay. It's just a slightly different way of typing it. Interesting. Cool. So yeah, as I say, you know, to, you know, your solution is perfectly good. And my one is almost the same, but not quite. But again, the whole point is there's an infinity of correct answers. So that that's not a criticism. That's just we have different styles. Interesting. Okay. All right. I'm ready to learn new stuff now. Okay, so today we are finally moving into objects. So I have already told you, and I've been telling you, like literally from the very first day we learned about JavaScript, I've been telling you about these things called objects and telling you to ignore them. We'll talk about them later. So on on installment 12, I said, a variable can store a literal value or a reference to an object. So a literal value is a string, a boolean, or a number. And basically everything that isn't a string, a boolean, or a number is an object. So when we learned about arrays, I mentioned that arrays were objects. When we learned about functions, I mentioned that functions were objects, which is why you can stick a function into a variable and why you can pass a function as an argument to a function and all those lovely things. So now it's time we stop just saying that these, oh yeah, yeah, an array is a function. Oh yeah, a function is, or sorry, an array is uh, an object. Oh yeah, and a function is an object. Let's actually talk about objects. So we're going to start with the simplest type of object, which is a type of object known as a plain object. And what makes an object plain is that it contains only data. That is to say, a plain object contains literal values, arrays, or other or other plain objects, but at no point can it contain something that's not an array, another plain object, a boolean, a string, or a number. In other words, anything you can do in JSON is a JavaScript plain object because JSON stands for JavaScript Object Notation. Okay. By the way, is this where object-oriented programming comes from? Not yet. Oh. Unplain objects is, is where object-oriented programming comes from. Plain objects are plain objects are data structures. They are a way of representing information, and that's all they do. A real object does more. So I'm going to tell you about plain objects because they're easy, and then then I'm going to then you're going to get what this whole object-oriented thing is about. Then we're going to do real objects. You, so we're starting plain. Can you tell Sorry, me why I care? What this terminology uh, is? Because you're going to be you. Okay, so. In JavaScript, when we're dealing with the web, the way we send information over and back is through JSON. And JSON cannot accept an unplain object. So when you're handing information around, you're going to be handing it around as JSON strings. In other words, you're going to be dealing with plain JavaScript objects all over the place. Okay. If JSON didn't exist, we could probably just skip over plain objects and go straight to real objects. But thanks to JSON's utter ubiquity, JavaScript plain objects are everywhere. Okay. And we, we, we did an entire uh, chit-chat across the pond on JSON way a few months back when we were talking about... XKPassWD. XKPassWD, because XKPassWD's yeah. configuration is done through JSON. In other words, it's done through JavaScript plain objects because oh. it can store information. That's all okay. it's about. So hmm. the key to a JavaScript plain object is key value pairs. So an array is basically a key value pair where the key is zero. One, two, three, 
four. The key is a number and the value is a value. Well, replace the numbers with anything you like, any string you like, and then you have an object. So you can say Tuesday is 22, Wednesday is 27, Thursday is 28, whatever. So it's a key and a value and you can choose both. Whereas an array, you just have a number and a value. Is that making sense? Yeah. I, I'm I'm having trouble caring. <laughs> I don't mean that in a snotty way. Okay, well, I'm just we're like gonna do it, lots it of just feels like terminology today. to me and and definitions that I can't that are uh, okay. obscure to me. But yeah, maybe okay, examples. We'll, 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 we'll build it out to we'll build us out to a more big example. So okay. they're name value pairs. That's the first thing to to just get into habit now. All objects. So all objects. All are objects value are name pairs. value pairs. Okay. Uh, to create a new object, an empty object with nothing in it, you say var some name equals open curly bracket, close curly bracket, semicolon. So you know the way we created an empty array by just saying open square bracket, close square bracket? Right. Well, you create an object by saying open squiggly bracket, close squiggly bracket. And that's just okay. an empty object. Okay. You can then start adding values to it. And there's actually two notations that work. So you can say whatever you call the dot, some name of your choosing equals some value. So in this case, I have my object dot sum property equals four, or equally equivalent, you can use the square brackets from arrays to say my object open square bracket the string sum property equals five. So sorry, some other property equals five. Those two are two notations for accessing the properties inside objects. I'm not sure why the JavaScript authors felt that two was better than a one, but they did. Okay, let's just start with the first one because the second mm-hmm. one looks goofy to me. Um, my object dot some part property equals some value. It's like yes. we've got some name dot some name equals something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. What is it? What okay, if we well, just we have created a variable called my object, mm-hmm. and we have said that one of the things it contains is a property called some property. Can I ask you to pause it because I have a really good example a little bit further down. I just need to do okay. a little more explaining, and then I can show you a real world actual data example. Okay. It's a lot of vague in one line. <laughs> okay. Again, name value pairs, right? The whole key is name value pairs. So you don't have to add the values separately. So you don't have to create an empty object and then stick the values in later. You can stick the values in at the same minute you create the object. So you do that by using, so you see it there, uh, my object was open curly brace, property name, colon, value, comma, property name, colon, value. You could go on forever, comma, property name, colon, value, comma. In other words, that's very, very, very much like JSON there. Okay. If the property name does not have a space in it, then you don't have to put quotation marks around it. If it does, you do, because otherwise it would be just weird, right? If it was property space name space one, that wouldn't work. You'd have to say, quote, property space name space one, colon, value one. So in your okay. earlier example of the two ways to write these, these properties, uh, you didn't have to put that in quotes. In the earlier way, if you have a property name with a space, option one vanishes from being even possible. No, but but the second one, you've got, quote, some other property and it's all one word. You didn't need the quotes mm-hmm. around that. I did, because you always need the string if it's going to be inside those square brackets. The only time you get away without the string is... Oh, those are like quotes that's, that's telling you it's a string. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, okay. Whew. All right. Okay, now let's actually look at a data structure. So I have created a data structure that I have not fully populated because I have a life. It's called states data, and it's a partial list of some information about states in the United States of America. 
Okay. Okay. So I said var states data equals open curly bracket. Then I am saying the first the first key, the first property name is CA. Colon. What is CA? Oh, CA is another object. So we have an object inside an object. And then inside CA, we're saying name colon California. Then we're saying demonyms. So a demonym is where you come from. So a Californian is a demonym for California. Okay. And I don't know of any other demonyms for California. So I made demonyms an array. So you can have arrays inside objects. And it has one string inside it, Californian. I have ISO 3166 is US-CA. That is your international code for California is US-CA. And it is a state. So type colon state. Close the CA object. And then I have comma. Oh, look, another object inside my state's data. CT colon. Open another object. Name, Connecticut. Demonyms, Connecticuter, Connecticutian, and Nutmegger. <laughs> no idea why they're called Nutmeggers, but they are. Okay. ISO 13 or 3166 is US-CT type state. Massachusetts, name Massachusetts, Demonyms, Bay Stater, Massachusetts, and Massachusetts, <laughs> US-MA, and it's type Commonwealth. And okay. you can see how I could go on and on and on and on and on here. So let me let me try to say what this even is. So we've set yes. up a variable called states data. Mm-hmm. And then CA is a property? CA is a property name. And then okay. its value then is it's a whole va- other object. So the name value pair. Yeah, so CA the is name, the name and the value. Sorry. I want to try to say it because mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand. So I've set up a variable named states data. And then mm-hmm. I've said uh, state state is going to have a property called CA and within that's the name. And then the, the properties are name, colon, demonyms, ISO 3166 and type. Okay. And so then those I'm going to step have you back value. a little bit. Okay. So CA is a name and its value is what comes after the colon. And its value is a whole new object because it starts with another curly bracket. Okay, but what's the object? There's four things in the object. Name, denim, denim, nims, ISO 3166, and type. Okay, so states data contains three key value pairs, CA and another object, CT and another object, and MA and another object. And then the other objects contain four keys each. So states data contains three objects. Is a key a name or, or value? Key is a name and a name value pair. I guess, yeah, the, key seems like a better word. It's what computer scientists use. So a key value pair or name value pair are... Okay, so key value. Let's call it key value then. Okay, so key value pairs. Yeah, key is a good word. Yeah, let's take the key. Okay, so CA, CT, and MA are the keys within the variable states data. Yes. They're the objects inside states data? State no. data is an object that contains three keys, and it just so happens that the value of each key is another object. Okay. And then inside that other object, we have four keys. So the okay. CA is an object that contains name, demonyms, ISO 3166, and type. Each of which are objects. CA is an object, CT is an object, and MA is an object. But so are name, demonyms, ISO 3166. No, no name and California are just a, a key and a value. They're just part of an object. So whenever you start a curly bracket, you start a new object. So CA starts a new curly bracket, but name doesn't. Okay. It's just got a colon, not a squirrely bracket. Okay. Yeah. 
So colon says end of key, beginning of value. And curly bracket says begin me a whole new object. So we have an object that contains three objects. Oh, I think I see it now. So CA has a colon after it. That means CA is the key and its value mm -hmm. is an object. And yes. within that object, we've got key of name. Ah, I think that's where you were getting confused. Yeah, so the key, is, one of the keys is name. The next key is demonyms. Right. And the value to go with those keys are California, California. Okay. Exactly. I never say this in an hour from now, but I think at this exact moment in time, I'm following you. <laughs> okay. What A lot of terminology. Get, when we want to get the information back out, we just stick them together with dots. So I have examples of accessing our little object. So do you want to just copy and paste all of this into the playground so that we can see it nicely formatted with the nice syntax highlighting instead of working off my overly narrow website? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of these days, I hope you widen it. Plus, remember, I, I also have to increase the font size by three to be able to read it. So I get like four words before <laughs> I can't see the rest of it. All right. Okay, so now that you can see what you're doing, you can see that the first thing we have in the pbs.says is just someone from plus states data. So states data is our variable dot ma. So we meet a dot. So we go into a key. So we're jumping down mm. to the Massachusetts dot name is a states data dot ma dot demonyms zero. So we go states data into ma into demonyms. Oh, demonyms is an array. Okay, element zero. When you run that, it says. Someone from Massachusetts is a base dater. Yeah. So you see how we're jumping in? Right. right. Name a variable, then That's name a property. readable. Yeah, it is. This That's is why name. objects are so cool. Because we have a complex data structure here. So we can also say that uh, statesdata.ca.name is a statesdata.ca.type, comma, its ISO 3166 abbreviation is plus statesdata.ca.iso 3166, and it prints out California is a state. It's ISO blah, blah, blah. Abbreviation is USCA. Then we do the same thing for Massachusetts, and it says Massachusetts is a commonwealth. It's ISO abbreviation is USAMA. And then we can also, remember, there's an array stuck in here. Demonyms is an array. So we can actually reach into that array. So we have pbs.say, it is okay to call someone from statesdata.ct.name, any of the following, colon. And then we have, unsurprisingly, a loop. So we say statesdata.ct.demonyms.foreach. So mm. we need our for each loop again, because it's an array, so we can for each it. And then an um, anonymous function. Correct, where we give it one argument, which we are going to call D, which seems like a good thing to call a demonym. Mm -hmm. And we just say pbs.say, a star symbol, followed by D. So in other words, it prints out, it's okay to call someone from Connecticut, any of the following, Connecticuter, Connecticutter, Nutmegger. And just by saying that, just so by we saying, made because D you did a exists. for each on D, on function D, mm -hmm. what's the function? We don't have a function. Function says create me, and no, we've always, so function, the keyword function says make a function. I know, right? but so what is the function? The function starts at the letter F there and ends at the semi at the squiggly bracket on line thirteen. Just I know, but there's the... no function. There's no multiply together, take the sign of, or well, there add... is. It's line twenty nine. PBS dot say. That's not a function. Why isn't that a function? A function is just a piece of code that gets run when you run it. <sighs> really? A function is just some code that 
grouped together in a way that you can run it over and over again or give it a name. In this case, we didn't give it a name because it's anonymous, but we could have if we wanted to. Hmm. A function is just a collection of lines of so code. Could it, just say, it could just say pbs.say, quote, hello world, unquote, and that's a, that's a function? It's a very boring function, yeah. You might call it function hello world. <laughs> huh. Absolutely. I thought Any functions had code. to do something. Well, in reality, they will do something because why else would you bother? But they don't have, have to. to do, so in this case, okay. saying something is something, right? I, I mean, if you look at the output, that was useful. Therefore, you can do it in a function. Why do you have to have a function? Why can't you just say pbs.say? Well, then it wouldn't happen for each. For each for each uh, requires a callback, right? That's the rule of for each. For each... Okay, th- okay. Think of a okay. function as having a contract, right? So the guys who wrote JavaScript, they wrote the for each function and they gave you, the developer, a contract. And their contract is, you give me a callback, I'll run that callback against everything in the array. Okay. So we can't say pbs.say without it being in a function, but if you want to do it on a for each, it has to be in a function. Correct, because okay. that's just how for each works. For each okay. says, I okay. demand to be handed an anonymous function. Okay. All right. I'll buy it. Okay, good. So you can see that you can store data in a very structured format in objects. That is what I'm hoping has mm-hmm. so far become obvious. Okay, yeah, good, yeah. That's, that's all I, I want to know so far. I do get that. It's the terminology that keeps, so that I can say it out loud, that's hard. It looks perfectly reasonable what you told it to do. Okay, and key value, we'll stick to key value as our name. Okay, all right. Okay, so you can loop through an object. Now, looping through an array is easy, right? Because you know, you're guaranteed that the first element in the array is element zero, and the second element is element one, and the third element is element two, and the fourth element is element three. How do you loop through an object where you have no idea any string on the entire universe could be the first element, and any string on the entire universe could be the second element. How do you loop through that? Wow, JavaScript has created a function especially to make that possible. It's called object.keys, which Hmm. is another reason to stick the key value pairs, because it's (laughs) object.keys. And object.keys takes as an argument an object and will give you back an array of the keys as strings. So to see, actually, let's run this bit of code here and you'll see that in action. Okay. Again, we'll pop it into our easier to see playground. So I've created a really boring object, which I've called TLA lib for three letter acronym lib. And it defines three, three letter acronyms, because I thought that would be fun. Okay. RPM, the key RPM maps to the value revolutions per minute. The key MPH maps to miles per hour. And the key RMS maps to root mean square. Okay, not a very interesting object, but there is a simple object with three keys. All right. So then we have a PBS that say the following acronyms are defined, concatenated with object.keys of TLA lib. And when you run it, you will see that it says that the keys are RPM, MPH, and RMS, which is exactly what they are. So object.keys just returns the keys of an object. Okay. Can we walk through this a little bit? <laughs> so you set okay. up a variable TL, TLA lib, and you've got mm-hmm. uh, the key value pairs of RPM, MPH, RMS going to their their acronyms. Mm-hmm. And then you say PBS to say the following acronyms are defined. And you mm-hmm. pull the object.keys, which means it's just going to pull the keys, not the 
not the values, values. Just keys. And then you say object keys TLA lib dot mm-hmm. for each. PMS okay, sorry, say, no, I haven't even. Yeah, sorry, that's the next bit. So so oh, far, I all I've okay. told you about is the one line, and it prints out just the three keys. Yes. Yes. Okay, so then we go a little bit further. So now that we have the keys, well, we can get the values too, right? Because we have a key, so we can use the key to reach in to get the value. So then we have object.keys.tlalib.forEach. So object.keys is going to return an array. Therefore, we can foreach it because arrays can be foreached. I sort of started using foreach loops for everything because you hated for loops. <laughs> and now I find that you started to like for loops. No, no, I don't like for loops. I knew how to copy and paste the one you wrote. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'll keep using for each. Yeah, 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 no, a, no, that makes a, it's a lot cleaner. It is, isn't it? Isn't the code nicer with a for each? Yeah. So we're saying for each, and then we're creating an anonymous function because that's how for each works. And we are going to call within our anonymous function the thing that we have been handed, TLA. Because, of course, we're getting the keys from our TLA lib. So TLA is a good name to call. That. Oh, that's right. I always forget where the I, I'm going. Ah, wait, wait, where'd this come from? It, it just started to exist. That's where it came from. Yes. We created it at that instant. Okay. So then we just have again a one-liner here. PBS dot say TLA concatenated with the colon symbol and a space concatenated with TLA lib open square bracket TLA close square bracket. So this is why the other format with the square brackets exists. Yeah. And then when you run it, it does exactly what you think. RPM, colon, space, revolutions per minute. MPH, colon, space, miles per hour. RMS, colon, space, root mean square. So it really is just like an array, but instead of being 0, 1, 2, 3, you can choose any name you like. I, that doesn't seem like some great freedom the way you describe it. I mean, it, you could have said zero one two, right? Because there was the first one, the second one, and the third one. Okay, but then how would I say that RMS RPM is revolutions per minute? I haven't actually defined anything if I do that. Yeah. Because yeah. you can then look up. You can say tlalib.rpm is what you can just put in. So imagine you're doing a bunch of print statements, and instead of having to type out revolutions per minute, you can say tlalib.rpm, and that would become point. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you didn't do that in here, but that's something you could do. Right. Well, we sort of do. We say TLA lib colon and then TLA lib of TLA. So, well, no, you said all of them. Yeah, we printed all of them. Yeah, if we didn't do it for each, then yeah, okay, yes, I guess, correct. Yeah. So, uh, if I just wanted to say the second one, I want to say MPH is miles per hour. How would I change okay. it? Object at keys parentheses TLA lib. I want to get rid of my for okay. each. Okay, now Gary, okay, so create a new line there, line 15. I, I just did. say pbs.say. Oh, I don't, need, I don't need this function thing in, at all. Not at all. TLA lib, open square bracket, quote to start the string. Which one did you want? RPM? Yeah. Close the quote, close the square bracket, semicolon. Wait, what? TLA, you're so much faster than me. pbs.say, open rowdy bracket, open a TLA lib. Open okay. a square bracket. Open Wait. a, start a string. So I don't know whether you prefer to use double or single quotes, whatever your preference is. Start I don't, I'm lost. PBS.say, rowdy bracket, TLA live. your Skype chat because describing text is just such a weird well, thing to do. Okay, but then nobody else is going to get it. I'll read it out, but this way at least you can see what I'm talking about. So it's... <sighs> Just hit everything, dang it. 
Okay. I'm lost now. You're lost now? Did the Skype not... Sh- the there you go. The- okay. Okay, so we're saying pbs.say is just the, the print command. So then we're saying the name of our variable, tlalib, open a square bracket to say I want something inside that variable. And then the string rpm will print out the rpm element of that object, which is revolutions per minute. Huh. I would not in a million years would I have thought that's okay. what I should do. Well, you could also have done a tlalib.rpm. That would also work. So remember, we have these two competing Yeah, why did we do it this way? Oh, I don't, yeah, I that's don't know. I have no idea yet. what you think is nicer. I, oh, I'm just the, guessing that here, quote right? thing. No, I don't like that at all. Okay, that oh, makes okay. okay then, that makes more sense to me. Now that looks good. So pbs.say open rowdy bracket tlalib.rpm close rowdy bracket semicolon. Got it. Yeah, just prints out yeah. whatever the value is of the RPM element inside tlalib, which is revolutions per minute. Okay. All right. Okay. So they, those are plain objects. And as I say, what makes them plain is that they contain only data. Okay, well, if, they, if plain objects contain only data, what might an object that isn't plain contain along with you? It's some data. No idea. Goats. Okay, well, the answer is functions. But actually, I've just realized I skipped a very, very important little bit here. My apologies. Okay. Should, I should scroll and then talk, not talk and then scroll. <laughs> Okay, so plain objects, I've told you, one of the reasons they're so popular is because of JSON. And JSON is built right into the JavaScript language. So there are two functions that we can use, json.stringify. Oh, you made that up. That's actually what it's called, (laughs) json.stringify. It really sounds like a Bartism, doesn't it? It does. I I would have called it that. If I had written this, that's exactly what I would have called it. But I I wouldn't have called the opposite one parse. I would have called it (laughs) destringify. So it's json.stringify takes a JavaScript object and turns it into a string in Java, in JSON format. And json.parse takes a string in JSON format and turns it into an object. So it allows Not you to into do a string? No. So, you, so one of them takes object to string and one of them takes string to object. In other words, translate to JSON string and from JSON string. Okay. So you can go in either direction. So imagine that you're doing something on the web and you want to send it to the server. You would turn it into a string and send it to the server. And then the server would answer you with a string and then you would turn that back into an object. I have no idea why you would need to do an object or a string. I don't... Okay, well, when you're talking to a web server, you can't hand it a piece of JavaScript code. You can only tell it some text. So how do I turn a complex piece of information into pure text? I make a JSON string out of it. Okay. And then I send it over. The server does something, and it will answer me back with another string of text that is a JSON string that I can then turn back into an object. So the server might answer with status colon either success or fail, output colon some value. Okay. Hmm. So you don't the send thing- you don't send the server JavaScript, but who's running the JavaScript if not the server? The web browser. Everything, remember, the web, everything we have done, HTML is in the web browser, CSS is in the web browser, JavaScript is in the web browser. But it's running on the server. Nope. Oh, Which come is why, on. You just no, blew the top of my head off. No, it's running in your browser. The web server has handed the HTML to your browser as a string of text, and your browser has taken that HTML and taken the CSS, interpreted it, created a picture, put it on your screen. 
And any JavaScript code you'd like to see next week is running in your browser. I did not know that. Did everybody else listening know that? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, we see, okay, so we're slightly jumping ahead of ourselves because next week we are moving into the browser. So I will explain that again. Sure. But, but yes, everything we have done is actually running in the browser. So client side code, as it's called. Hmm. And so the client often has to talk to the server. And that's, you've probably heard the word Ajax. Yeah. Well, Ajax is when your browser talks back to the server using JavaScript. And the language they use for that little bit of chatter is very, very, very often JSON. Oh, okay. But you got to be stringifying things then to do that. Right. So your general thing will be take some data from the user, stringify it into a JSON string, flip it off to the server. The server does some magic and it answers back with another string that's in JSON format that you then turn into an object and then analyze it and say, ah, okay. So the server said that apparently everyone from Massachusetts is something. I don't know, whatever the server has to say. Why didn't they call it objectifier? Is that a that's a uh, that's a poor form term to use? I imagine there might be objections to that. Yeah. Jason thought objectify, and the string <laughs> is called women. Ah! <laughs> exactly. Okay, I think against all odds, I'm with you. Okay, and so the example code here simply takes a JSON object, our TLA lib, and converts it to a string, and then prints it out, and you will see that it becomes a JSON string. Okay, I got to go see and that. I got to see that happen. That sounds okay. fun. All right, copy, paste, run. All right. Why did it end up in squiggly brackets? Because that is, because it is an object. So the JSON rule for objects is they must be squiggly bracketed. So it starts with a squiggly bracket. So wait a minute. So we stringified, I only got one so, line and, and there's... Yeah, the what? second line doesn't produce any output. We just go back the other way. It doesn't produce an error. Okay, <laughs> so your line, it says var uh, create a variable TLA JSON. We did JSON.stringify to TLA lib and mm-hmm. then PS, uh, PBSA TLA JSON. So what I'm looking at now is just a pure string of the JSON. Yes, so what you're looking at is the string printed by line 10 created on line 9. Hmm. And then we go the other way again. Just to do it. Just to do it, but it doesn't produce any output because we've just successfully gone the other way. Okay. Okay. Huh. As I say, perhaps that's one to put on the back burner for now. I really wanted to mention it here because we're talking about objects. Mm-hmm. This will definitely become important. So maybe just stick a pin in it for now. So right. these are our plain objects. And so they are objects that contain only data. Well, Ask me again what, what a non-plain object is. So a real <laughs> object is an object that contains... Functions. Yes, and data. So the Ooh. what is object-oriented programming? You have been asking me for weeks now. Mm-hmm. The concept, the raison d'etre for object-oriented programming is this concept that you take data and the functions for manipulating that data and combine them into one entity that you can then pass around as a single thing. Hmm. Okay. So a JavaScript array is an object that contains data and it contains things to do with the data like the function for each so for each you don't say for each open bracket and array you just say array name dot for each because the function belongs to the data (laughs) right okay so it's a really good way of abstracting things and making your code simple and sensible by keeping what it is and how i manipulate it entangled and enclosed wrapped into a single entity that's what object-oriented programming is all about. You take the data and how you manipulate the data and you put them together into one 
definable thing. Hmm. So I am going to start this by creating an example. We're going to create something very simple, which is a counter. So a counter has a value, its current count, and you can increase the value. You can set the value back to zero or reset your counter, and you can ask it what the current count is. So that's all our little counter object is going to be able to do. It's going to have some sort of value. You're going to be able to reset it, increment it, and get the current value. So we're going to create that as an object. So the functionality and the data are going to be mushed into one thing. I'm going to very imaginatively call it my counter. Okay. So var my counter equals open a curly bracket. That means it's an ob- object. Object. We are now creating an object. We are saying underscore count colon zero. The key count will have the value zero, which seemed to me like a sensible wait, 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 wait. place. Underscore count? Why would you use that? There is a really good reason, but I'm going to not tell you for a couple more minutes. <laughs> it's a name, okay? It's a name I have chosen, and I have chosen okay. the underscore. It's a key. It's a key. Okay. But you key chose is to name it that way. And I have chosen the name at underscore count. There is a convention. I am following. I am following a convention. Okay. But it doesn't mean anything grammatic to me yet that I should have been paying attention. Doesn't mean anything to the JavaScript language. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not even a rule. It's just a convention. Okay. Like I like to name things in camel case. Okay. The convention. So it has no meaning other than it is a key, and the key is underscore count, and its value colon is zero. All right. So in other words. Our counter, when we create it, has nothing in it. No, okay. it has a count of zero. So data, the current count initialized at zero. Comma. We are now going to start a new key. And this key we are calling reset. And the value, so colon, reset colon. So the value of reset is... A function. A function. All right. Function. So an anonymous function is going to be tied to the name reset. So reset colon function. Open and close parens. In other words, we are not naming any arguments. Open a curly bracket to start our function. So function to zero the counter, I put it as a comment there. And now the word this is really important. I'm going to say it and then I'm going to explain it in a minute. This dot underscore count equals zero. So whenever you see the word this, I would like you to hear in your brain the object this function belongs to. So the object this function belongs to dot underscore count equals zero. Can't hear it. Can't see it. Can't think it. <laughs> okay, so we have created an object and we have said that one of the values in Wait, the object. Which, is, of the which keys, is the object? We got like all the these embedded ones. my counter. So my okay. counter. All right. It contains a key called underscore count. Mm-hmm. It also contains a key called reset. Mm-hmm. And reset would really like to edit underscore count. Okay. Its mechanism for doing that is the magic word this. So this and oh, this is again poor choice. So this in this case is my counter because it's inside my counter. It's a way of reaching up. The object I belong to is what this is. So the object I belong to dot count equals zero. That's what a reset function does, right? It re it, Sets the counter back to zero. Okay. So underscore count is our counter, and the reset function sets the counter to zero. Yes. And the but way what is you this reach, dot? 
this dot, if I said underscore count, it would not work because count underscore count belongs to the belongs to the object, not to the function. So the way you reach from the function to the object is with the magic keyword this. This okay. is a feature of the language. It's a okay. It's a keyword. This is where the syntax highlighting really matters because it's it's like a reddish purplish color and and so is function. So it must be a real word, not something Bart made Precisely. up. Okay. Exactly. Yes. So exactly. So this dot underscore count is nicely colored for you in. Okay. So this dot play. underscore count says reach up out of this function and go get that key that happens to be in this object called my counter. Yes. So this is the object I belong to. Okay. So the object I belong to's count should go to zero. Oh, now I can hear it. Okay. The object I belong to's count. Okay. Got you. So the next, and we, we end that anonymous function. And then we say comma. So we're making another key value pair. The key is increment. The value mm-hmm. is another anonymous function. Mm-hmm. And this time it says this dot underscore count plus plus. So in other words, to increment, we take this object's counter and make it one bigger. Okay. Yeah, I've seen I++ before, so I guess I can live with that. <laughs> yeah, it just okay. means make me one bigger. So this okay. underscore count gets one bigger. Then we say, again, we close that anonymous function, comma, so another key, get count, another anonymous function, return this dot underscore count. End the object. So in other words, our object contains one piece of data, underscore count. So underscore count plus plus said increment underscore count by one. So under mm-hmm. count, uh, underscore count is now one bigger. So when you return this, that is an incremented underscore count. When you call the function, it will become one bigger. Yeah, yeah. Right. Remember, functions don't run until you say go. So all right. we are doing here is saying this is an object called my counter. It has one piece of data called underscore count and three functions called reset, increment, and get count. And we describe what those functions do, but we never say go. Okay. So, so then on line 16, we say pbs.say mycounter.getCount. And so you would imagine that would print? Zero? Yes. Okay. Then we say increment the counter 10 times. I figured any number, right? Why didn't so you use for, a for each here? <laughs> uh, what would I be for each against? I don't for know. For each belongs to an array. For each is a function of an array. Oh. I'm one array short. <laughs> right? Okay. Otherwise known as I don't have an array. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. That'll take me a while to remember. I was just getting excited about for eaches. Okay. Well, for eaches are a way of going through an array. Okay. But in this case, I'm not going through an array. I just want to do something 10 times. So for var i equals zero, i is less than 10, i plus plus. Okay. I say my counter dot increment open parens close parens yeah open parens close parens means make the function go okay i like it then we have show the counter again pbs to say my counter that get count so you would imagine the first type will be zero the second output will be 10 then we say reset the counter my counter wait wait oh line so you incremented until for i equals zero to i is less than 10. So 10 times I ran increment. So imagine if it was a clicker. I went click, 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 10 times. Okay, because the 10th time you don't i++. So that's you. Okay. Huh. But it doesn't matter whether or not we i++, right? Because i is not, i is o- i's only job here is to make sure we don't go on forever. We never use i apart from to control the loop. Right. 
right? So we're just saying, all we're doing inside the loop is click. So we've clicked 10 times. Okay. Uh, then we say, say the count again. So you'd imagine it should now say 10. Uh-huh. Then we say, my counter.reset. The reset function puts the count back to zero. So when we do one final PBS, let's say it says zero again. And if you run it, you see it says zero, 10, zero. Okay. That's pretty human readable. It is. And that is object-oriented programming. So we have data and the functions mushed together. Now, this is what is known as a bespoke object, right? We have created a counter and it works nicely. We've shown that it works. We've used it. It does what it says in the tin. But if I wanted a second counter, I'd have to copy and paste everything from line 2 to line 13 inclusive, give it a different name, and then I'd have two counters. If I wanted 10 counters, I'd have to copy and paste 10 times. And that's A, terribly annoying, and B, if I find a bug in my code, I would have to remember to correct it 10 times. So what we really want is some sort of template, some sort of way of saying all counters do this. Give me a new one. Can you see the core difference there? Yeah. So we don't call it a template. JavaScript uses a different word that's synonymous with template. JavaScript is built around the concept of prototypes. So you have regular object and prototyped object. And a prototyped object is built from a template or a prototype. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, so believe it or not, Alison, you are at a spectacular advantage here. (laughs) Really? Anyone who has done object-oriented programming before is coming to this with preconceptions because every other object-oriented language, well, almost every other object-oriented language I've ever used, does objects using something called classes. And JavaScript threw away the rulebook and made up its own completely different way of doing it called prototypes. And anyone who's done classes, prototypes will make their head explode. But if you haven't done anything, prototypes are perfectly sensible. I think I tried to learn classes in something I was trying to learn, and it made no sense. So good. Yes. So anyone who's coming to this from C or Java, there are analogies. It is aiming at the same outcome. But you guys need to take everything you know and forget it. And that's going to be hard because you've probably spent years doing it. So JavaScript is a prototyped language. Its object orientation is based on prototypes. So to create a prototype, you need to do step one and step two. So step one is you define something which is called a constructor function. And the constructor function's job in life is to initialize all the data. So in the case of our counter, that was a grand total of one piece of data that we had to put to zero. We had to give it a name and put it to zero. So that would be all our constructor would have to do. And then the name of that constructor function is going to be the name of the prototype. And it is purely a convention that we use capital letters, as in like array, which we've already seen is capital A because array is a prototype. String with a capital S that we've seen way back in 12, that's a prototype. Boolean with a capital B, prototype. Oh. Object that we saw today, prototype. Huh. So that's the convention in JavaScript. Prototypes begin with an uppercase letter, and then they're camel case from there on in. Okay. So whatever name you give the constructor function, that becomes the name of your prototype. And the 
constructor function's job is to add the data and only the data. And then, at that point in time, a prototype exists. And then you, you connect the functions to the prototype. So in the case of our counter, we say, we're gonna, I'm going to call it um, counter with a capital C. I'm going to use as my prototype name because that's a sensible name for a counter. So I'm going to say counter, and I'm going to give it one piece of data, this dot underscore count equals zero. And then we need to add the function. So reset, increment, and count. And they get added to the prototype of counter. So constructor function, and then tag all of your own functions into the prototype. That's step one, step two. And you're going to have to refer to that over and over again. That's fine. It will soon become habit. So define a constructor, set up your data, add the functions to the prototype. That's the way we build objects. Data, then functions. Data, then functions. So as an example, I am going to redo our counter so that we can have infinitely many counters. And they will all work exactly the same because they will be prototyped. We will say what a counter is and then we can have as many of them as we like. So I have a giant big comment, define the counter prototype. And then the next comment is define the constructor. I'm actually going to copy paste this into the playground so that (laughs) I can can redo. (laughs) And give you line numbers and stuff. Yeah. So on line six we're going to define the constructor and you define the constructor simply by writing a normal function. Function counter. Open, close parens, open a squiggly bracket. Default the counter to zero. This dot underscore count equals zero. So far it looks exactly the same except it's a capital letter on the function name. And instead of saying var something equals and then opening a curly bracket to make an object, we're actually just creating a function here. We're saying function counter. Okay this that underscore count equals zero. Okay. Now, the next bit, lines 10 to 13, are an optional tweak we will come back to in a minute. They can be ignored and it will still work. So let's ignore them for now. Okay. Then the next job is to add the reset function to the prototype. And you do this by saying name of prototype dot prototype. So counter dot prototype dot reset equals. Oh, so this is where you took counter, which is a function, and you said this is going to be the prototype? Yeah. And then so reset we're is going to be a... A function within that prototype. Function so within the prototype. prototype dot reset equals function. Okay. This dot underscore count equals zero. Okay. We can still use this, thank goodness, even in our prototypes. Okay. Then we say add an increment function to the prototype. Counter dot prototype dot increment equals function. This dot underscore count plus plus. Okay. Then we're going to add a function to the prototype, which is going to do two things. Either tell us what the count is or make the count be something. So in other words, it is an accessor for our count. Okay. And the way it decides what to do is if you give it no arguments, I will tell you. And if you give me an argument, I will listen. So by accessor, you just mean a, uh, a way of accessing this prototype? A way of accessing the count inside this prototype. Okay. All right. Okay, so it's an accessor for the count. Okay, that's not an official word. That's just a word. It's it's a descriptive word. Yes, yes. Okay. So I am saying if there were arguments, set the count to the given value, assuming it is a number. So if arguments.length. Oh, Alistair's going to shout at me again. Imagine in your brain there it says if arguments.length double equals one or greater than zero, I guess. If arguments at length greater than zero. Imagine it says that. Or are you happy enough with this? Imagine? 
<laughs> Why can't we? Okay, remember, type it? any zero evaluates to false. So arguments dot length will evaluate to false unless the length is greater than zero. If I were to be more specific, I could say if arguments dot length greater than zero. So okay, I'm using that's just two ways to write it. Okay. Yeah, I'm so used to not writing it that I don't write it. So I could write if arguments dot length greater than zero. Yes. Okay. And it would be identical with code. no spaces around it or anything. Uh, well, you would generally space greater than space zero. The okay. spaces are optional, but they look okay. code looks better. That's space. nice, by the way. I appreciate that. Mm. Okay, so if we got an argument, if there are arguments, we say var u count equals parse int arguments zero. And we're saying if not is nan, which I know you hate. Wait, wait, wait. Go back. What var? Okay, we created a new variable called new count. Mm-hmm. We're going to take percent. What is arguments? Okay, so arguments we learned about last week. Every single function, by the language's definition, by this is something the language provides you. It's not something you create. It's like the word function or like the word while. This is a feature of the language. Okay. So arguments zero is whatever they passed as the first argument. Okay. So... This is an alternative to giving them names. So you, remember you were saying that in your function, you're calling your function goop. You could have also referred to it as arguments zero instead of goop. But you can see why we prefer to call them things. But in this case, we just didn't bother. <laughs> okay. Because it might not exist. And we're saying if whatever we got is a number, so if not is nan, if it's mm-hmm. not not a number, this dot count equals new count. In other words, if you give me an argument, I will use that as the count. Okay, so I just put in a 7, and 0 became 7. Exactly. If you okay. said, yeah. Always return the count. So in other words, no matter whether we added a new value or not, just return this dot underscore count. Okay, okay, so we now have a prototype. But a prototype is just a template, a blueprint. If I give you a blueprint of a house, how many houses do you have? None. None, right? So you have to use the blueprint to create a house or to create a counter. And the magic word, and this is another one of those built-in features of JavaScript, the magic word for build me a new object is new. Oh. So we say var counter one equals new counter. With a capital C. With a capital C, because that's the name of our prototype. And we call it as a function. So we say var counter one equals new counter. Now we're not passing any arguments to it, so, so it should just come back and say zero. It's just gonna. It's just gonna make a counter. It's not gonna say anything. It's just gonna. Oh, because we only counter. have a return. We don't have a say. Okay. Exactly. So, well, actually, if you look inside the constructor function, we don't even have a return. We just say this dot underscore count equals zero. No, you have returned this dot underscore count. Always that's return in the, the count. count function. That's in the in the. That's what? in. That's in the function count with a lowercase c that belongs to the to the counter. You'll see that in a minute, okay? So it's we not part of the prototype? It is part of the prototype. The prototype contains one piece of data, underscore count, and three functions, reset, increment, and count. Okay, what did you say return this dot underscore count is not part of? It is not part of the constructor, which starts on line six and ends mm-hmm. on line 14. Okay. So the constructor has the name of the prototype, which is counter with a capital C. So it starts on line six and ends on line 14. Okay, I have lost track of what a constructor is now. We've gone deep enough in that I thought I knew what I was. you were doing. Okay, but... so the constructor's job is to add the data. Okay. 
So when we said new counter, then line six is where it starts and it finishes on line 14. So it says, okay, you'd like a new one of these. What will I do? I'll give you a this dot underscore count and I'll make it be zero. And then we're then so it's like we say, an initializer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the, the terminology is constructor, but initializer, if that works for you, perfectly valid. Okay. All right. So, and the only thing it's initializing is this dot underscore count equals zero. Why does, it saying, have to, why does it have to be initialized? Why does it? Because otherwise there would be no underscore, this dot underscore count. Ah, for it to value. reach back up out of and go get. Right. So, I mean, what is a counter if it doesn't have a count? Imagine your object was representing the current date. You would have to say, well, what is the current date? It is 2016. It is, it's, the counter has to have a current count. Otherwise, it makes no sense as a counter. So it has a piece of data we have to initialize. Okay. So the constructor constructs that initial state of the object. Okay. All right. So our object has one piece of data. So on line 46, we make a counter using our counter prototype, and it will contain just one piece of data, which is underscore count, and it will be set to zero. Then we can make another one. Because this is a prototype. We don't have to make just one of them. We can have as many of them as we like. So var counter two equals new, which is a magic word for builds me an object. Counter, and this time we're passing it the argument four. So if we scroll up to line 11 there, we'll see that we say, if there were arguments, store the argument. Okay. Okay. Then we say pbs.say counter one equals counter one dot count plus in other words concatenate with comma counter two equals concatenated with counter two dot count so dot count is our accessor so dot count will return the current value of the count it ends with return this dot underscore count yes yes so that should print out counter one equals zero comma counter two equals four because we said the counter two to start at four all right Okay, so if you run that and only look at the first line of the output, it should say what I just said. Mm-hmm. Counter 1 equals 0, counter 2 equals 4. Yep. Okay, so the key point here is, although we made two objects from the one prototype, they each have their own copy of everything. Yeah, yeah, got it. So there are, so there are two underscore counts, which is why the word this is so important. Because it's not all underscore counts, it's my one, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> okay, they have to be possessive, right? Each one has a copy. Okay. Yep. So now we can call, we can say counter one dot increment. And then we print out again. So what you would expect to see on the second line of output is counter one equals one, because we incremented counter one. And counter two is completely unchanged because we didn't do anything to it whatsoever. And it's still on four. So again, we're proving they are completely unrelated things. Yeah. And we say increment counter two five times. So we just have a little for loop from zero to less than five counter two dot increment and then we print again so this time it says counter one is still one right where we left it and counter two is now gone up to nine which is five more than four ah yes oh because we haven't run a reset yeah yeah okay i've not run a reset so now we're going to say jump counter one to eleven we're saying counter one dot count eleven so if you look at the count function which starts on line 27 it says if there were arguments Save the argument as this that underscore count. Oh, so that wasn't an increment. It was saying just make it be make so. It. 
Make ah, it so. Okay. Make it so. So now <laughs> when we do a PBS.ca, it says counter one is 11. And counter two is right where we left it at nine. I'm glad and then we know this say, one goes to 11. <laughs> I did put it in there on purpose. I knew uh, <laughs> And then the last thing we do is we reset counter two. So counter two dot reset. And then when we do another PBS.ca, it says one is at 11 where we left it. And counter two has gone to zero. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see that we have added, we have stored a single piece of data and all the f- code for manipulating that data bunched into one thing. And we can say, give me another counter, give me another counter. So we could have a million counters and they'll all independently have their own internal count. I like that. And that is object orientation. Data and the functions together. Huh. And you access them with the name of the object. So counter.count, counter.reset, counter.increment. I okay. like it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That is object-oriented programming. Yay! So I'm done. I, I know everything now? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, there is one... I, there are two more small things I want to tell you before I give you your assignment. Okay. I hate the word this because the word this is always so hard to use in a sentence without right. it sounding silly. If, imagine, if we look at our code there, uh, I've lost my window. So let's say we're looking at line 28, which is inside a function. In this case, the function count. And that function is inside our, our prototype for counter. Therefore, we can use this to access the count like we do on line 33. We can say this dot underscore count. Mm-hmm. If we were to be using some sort of callback, like a for each loop, inside this function, we would have a problem. Because this inside the callback wouldn't work. But there is a standard technique that avoids this problem. If you're going to use this inside a callback, you make a new variable called self and make self be equal to this. And so it's just a line of code you have to put before a callback that says var self equals this. And then inside the callback, use self as if it was this. This is a technique you just have to use I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't yell at you for it if you already apologized. All right. Yeah, it's the rules, right? And so I'm going to, we're going to finish on one last example, but there's, before we do that last example, I want to tell you one more piece of information. You can check what prototype an object belongs to with the magic word instance of, which we've already seen, because when we wanted to test if something was an array, we said if instance of, double equals array yeah Uh, right right well array is just a prototype so we can do exactly the same trick for instance of on anything else so the example here simply it just copies and pastes our counter as it was so that the example works as a whole and then so we say at the very bottom we say var ctr equals new counter var a equals and we create an array and then we say pbs.say counter instance of counter and a instance of counter and it will print as you would expect, that counter is a counter and A is not a counter because A is an array. So it just says true-false. So instance of is just a way to test, is CTOR a counter? Oh, yes, it is. Is A a counter? No, it is not. Huh, okay. Okay, so this is how we tested for arrays last time. We said if A instance of array with a capital A, we're just testing it against a prototype, that's all. Okay, a specific prototype, not prototypes in general. Yes, exactly. So you'll see it says 
something okay, to okay. test the magic word instance of what to test it against. Gotcha. So okay, A instance you. of counter, CTR instance of counter. Okay. Okay, and that, that's it. So instance of is an operator. That's all there is to that. So our la- I'm going to prove this self thing to you with a little fun game. Okay, so we're actually we're writing an object that is called guessing game. Okay, so this is a little, this uses our playground to have a little bit of fun and it's an excuse to play around. So, function guessing game. So in other words, create a guessing game prototype. We're saying function guessing game and the data we're going to store this time is a random number. Ooh. And for now, you're going to have to take it on faith that that is how you make a random number. But I, that will not be on faith next week. Because we've decided to split this in half, dear listeners, by the way. <laughs> uh, so the bit where I tell you how to make a random number is coming next week. But for now, it doesn't really matter. The point is that this underscore value becomes a random number between 1 and 10 inclusive. Okay. Okay. Then we say store whether or not the game is over. And initially, when you start a game, you would prefer it not to be over. So it's just this dot underscore over equals false. Okay. Store whether or not the game has been won. This dot won equals false as well. So in other words, at the moment we create a new game, we pick a random number and then we say the game is not over and the game has not been won. So three pieces of data this time. Gotcha. Okay. Now, the object of this game is to guess the number. Right? So we have a function we're going to add into the prototype called guess. So guessing game dot prototype guess equals function and G is going to be the argument. It's going to be what we call the argument. Okay. And I have said in the comment above and I'd like you to notice that I have started, now that we're getting real, every function I write has a comment above it of the same format that is a text expander snippet. <laughs> it says what the function is for, what it returns, and what its arguments are. Oh, interesting. And, and you and do own... that so that you always make sure you keep track? Correct. I will write the comment first, and then I will write the function. Huh, okay. So I will think, what am I trying to achieve here? Okay, a function is a black box. What should go in? What should come out? And they come out maybe nothing, and they go in maybe nothing, but I write it down. So you'll see on line 8 there, it says arguments, none, right? You don't have to have arguments. But I will right. write that fact. So I will always say what it is, and what I expect in, and what I expect out. Okay. So the guessing game takes an argument I'm going to call G, which can be either an integer or an array of integers. So you might guess one number, or you could guess many numbers. So we just say, if G is an array, guesses equals G, otherwise guesses zero equals G. I'm just like, guess this is just a new array I've made. Then I'm just going to say, if the game was already over, say, sorry, game is over, too late to guess now, return false. Okay. Okay. And then I'm going to loop through all of my guesses using a for each loop. Therefore, line 42 has to exist. (laughs) Right? Self equals this. And then from line 44 until the end of that callback, which is line 60... Everywhere I would have typed this, I now type self. Hmm. Okay. So, while we're guessing, make sure the game is not over. If not self.underscore over, if is nan the guess, say invalid guess, guess is not a number. Else, if guess equals the secret value, say correct, the secret number is blah. Self.underscore over is true, self.one is true, guess right equals true. Okay, and then you return whether or not you guess right at the end. If you're wrong, you say is too high or is too low. Oh. I'm missing a bit here, right? Okay. Then we have a function called guessinggame.prototype.quit. In other words, give up. <laughs> we say, if this is over, 
if this is won, game already over, you won. Else, game already over, you lost. Sad face. <laughs> <laughs> and then, if we actually end the game, we say, this that underscore over equals true. Game over, the secret number was... And yeah, we ignore why we return this for now. Okay. So we can use the guessing game prototype. We say, my game equals new guessing game. Var guesses equals PBS that inputs. If there are no inputs, say, try guess a number between 1 and 10 inclusive. Enter your guesses in the inputs. Var got it equals my game dot guess on the guesses. If we didn't guess right, quit. So... If you click run, you'll see the first thing it says is try to guess a number between 1 and 10 inclusive. Enter your guesses in the inputs. So 2, 6, 9. Run. Okay, I didn't do very well. 2 is too low. 6 is too low. 9 is too low. Game over. The secret <laughs> number was 10. That's mine were all too high, so. <laughs> and I click run again and it'll be different. Mine, mine are all too high. The secret number was 1. <laughs> I still didn't so, get it right. Come on. <laughs> no, we'll just sit here playing the hey! game for the rest of the time. You got one? I got one. <laughs> so, oh, okay, so you keep leaving your still and just running it until you get the right answer. Yeah, I'm not re-guessing. I'm just going to say eventually the random number will be one of my three. <laughs> my initial version of this game went between one and a hundred and it took forever. So I made it one in ten. <laughs> nice. The point, right, the whole reason for this example is A, to give you a second example so you can see... The count one is a bit too simplistic. And also to show you that you have to use this var self equals this trick for callbacks. So armed with these two examples, uh-huh. I have a challenge for you. Oh. Okay. And the challenge doesn't use the stuff we're skipping over until next week. You'll Good. be happy to know. So scrolling down, a challenge. First I'd like you to build a prototype which is going to which I'm telling you to call quotation. And I would like you to make this prototype in such a way that it stores two pieces of information. The quotation and who said it. Okay. So I think we, we had one earlier today. P. T. Barnum. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, right. P. T. Barnum. So there are your two pieces of information. Okay. I would like your prototype to define a function called quote. That will allow you to get the quote and a function called buy that will allow you to get who it's from. So in other words, quote should return if you build it, they will come and buy should return PT Barnum. And I would like you to write one final function called to string that will print out the quote inside quotation marks, then a minus sign and then who said it. So it should print out nicely, quote, if you build it, they will come, end quote, minus PT Barnum. Okay. Okay. So that's our first prototype. And then I want you to build a second prototype called Random Quoter. And Random Quoter should contain one piece of data, which is an array of quotation objects. I'd like your constructor to accept quotation objects as arguments so that you can fill it up with stuff. I'd like you to make a function called empty to just delete all the quotations. I'd like you to make a function called add to add more quotations. And I'd like you to make a function called quote, which will pick at random one of your quotations and print it out. Wow. And then I'd like you to test this by storing 10 of your favorite quotations. And every time you hit play, you should get a different one quoted at you. Wow. So it's basically a quote of the day. 
is what we've invented here, right? For extra credit, oh, when it works, I would like you to go back to your quote prototype and add one more piece of data, a note. And if the note is present, I'd like it put in parentheses after the quotation. So an example would be the unspeakable chasing the, un, sorry, the unspeak, the un, <laughs> ah, easy for you to say. Yeah. The unspeakable hunting the uneatable by Oscar Wilde. And the note is on fox hunting. So it would print out, quote, the unspeakable hunting the uneatable, end quote, minus Oscar Wilde, parens, on fox hunting, close parens. You see what I mean by a note? Sure, sure. Except mine will say, if you build it, they will come, dash, P.T. Barnum, parentheses, also used in the movie Field of Dreams. Exactly, exactly. Well, this all sounds doable from what you've uh, taught us. It's practice for the idea that you're going to build a constructor function, which is going to have the name of the prototype. It's going to create the data. Then you're going to add the functions to the prototype. So step one, step two, just like I described in the notes. I feel powerful like I could do it if I did it right now. And, well, the uh, real challenge is do it in a few days' time. Yeah, well, yeah in, in 13 days, <laughs> it's the night before the, the homework's due. We'll see how I do. Okay. So that there you go. So then, again, we're getting more practical here, right? The, a random quote of the day, a, a sort of a quote of the day feature is much more fun than just sort of yeah. silly little things I've been asking to do so far. Yeah, I like it. I like it, Bart. This is going to be fun. Excellent. Okay, well... My voice appears to be going, which is a little bit worrying. I guess I'm picking up a cold. So I think that's a good reason to say until next time, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you like what you hear, you can help support the show by using the Amazon or App Store affiliate links you'll find over at podfeet.com. I love feedback, so if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com. If you want to join in the conversation with other listeners, you can go over to our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus or our Facebook group over at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.